Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 443. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreau. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 443 you're listening to. My guests today, this is going to be a little different. My guests today are the Golden Gate Mixers. Now, if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you know that I have put together this kind of a mixing collective, if you will. And it includes former WCA guest McKay Garner and Rado Peter. And if you want to hear their individual interviews, you can go and check out McKay at episode 294. And this is really strange. I didn't realize this until this morning. 295 for Rado. So 294 and 295. Why I put them back to back and how they're in this group with me, I don't know. That's kind of a strange coincidence. Anyhow, the three of us are going to sit and we're going to chat about everything under the sun, including the collective thing and what we do in that collective and how it's going for us, what we're thinking. And maybe it'll give you all some ideas. I know that we have a listener in Italy who has put together a collective based on this idea and of course, this was inspired by Katie Tavini and, and Stephen Carrison in England doing their collective called Weird Jungle, which is a mastering collective. So we took the inspiration and created the Golden Gate Mixers, which is kind of an homage to California being the Golden State, but it's also because we're in the Bay Area, Golden Gate Bridge, right? So it all kind of fits. It's like the Golden State Warriors, right? Except we mix and we master. So Golden Gate Mixers coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about working from home. I've been working from home since around 2012. Been mostly mixing and mastering, occasionally doing overdubs. Uh, but I'll talk about my scenario in a bit. I'd like to actually start with laying out some concepts for you to think about if you're considering this. I know many of you already are working from home. Regardless, let's go over some basic common sense things to keep in mind. What are you doing? Are you mixing and mastering? or are you tracking? And those are gonna be two very different things that are going to impact the whole scenario greatly. Where do you live? Do you live in the city? Do you live in the country? Do you live in the suburbs? Who are your neighbors? And where are they located? Are they on top of you, below you, to the side of you, 10 miles away, are they next door? Do you own or do you rent is the next factor because that's gonna present some challenges and we'll go over that. Who do you live with? Do you have roommates? Do you have a family? Uh, do you have uh, relatives living with you? All factors. Right off the bat, let's get into the most obvious thing. What are you doing? If you're mixing and mastering, you are probably gonna have a slightly easier time of it than if you are tracking. Let's face it, you're not gonna be in an apartment in downtown New York City playing drums or having a full band play and get away with it very easily. Tracking instruments, no matter how loud or how quiet, is gonna be a factor. Now, obviously, anything done on headphones, nobody's gonna know, right? If you're running direct, or you're doing the Kemper thing, or bass DI, or electronic drums, you're gonna be in a better position to, you know, not disturb others. 
Now, obviously the electronic drums, that comes with its problems. You know, those little pads, whether they're mesh and rubber or whatever they are, they still make kind of a pitter patter sound. You know, that kick drum pedal that you think is so quiet is probably going right through the floor to the neighbor below you, if you have a neighbor below you. If you're considering setting up a full-on studio in your, in your house, your apartment, whatever your situation is, you better make damn sure that you don't have anybody around you that's gonna be disturbed by this because it's not gonna be a uh, workable solution long-term. And if anything, if you're coming from a commercial studio where you're used to an infrastructure and you're shutting that down, maybe you might consider finding a studio that you can partner with, that you can always go track at and then bring everything home for mixing, mastering, or small overdubs. And if you're doing small overdubs, I mean, there's a number of solutions. I mean, depending on your, your situation and where you're at, you can get away with certain things. Now, if you are recording voiceovers, for example, or I don't know, maybe you have some client that does ASMR stuff, those things are much easier to tackle in pretty much every environment. So you're not gonna have a lot of trouble there. The mixing mastering thing, we all know you can do a combination of that on some on headphones as well as speakers. Your situation will differ obviously where, where you're at. So let's get into that. Let's talk about where you're living. Are you living in the city? Are you living in the suburbs? Are you living in the country? The differences between those three things are fairly obvious. Uh, if you are living in the country, clearly you probably can get away with a lot. However, if you live in the country, it's probably going to take someone a bit of time to get to you. So if you're expecting to set up a studio and have people come out and record at your place, that's going to be a factor. And that's going to be problematic for some people, not a big deal for others. Clearly you can get away with sonically adventurous things because maybe you have a, maybe you live in upstate New York and you have a barn or something. So you're going to be able to pretty much do most of everything you want to do. I guess it depends on how far away your, your neighbors are. If you're in the suburbs, houses tend to be close to each other. So you're going to have to watch yourself there. Lots of challenges with sonic intrusion, uh, planes, helicopters, UPS trucks, you know, delivery trucks in general. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the new Amazon trucks and the backup sounds that they make. Really crazy sounding. Uh, the other thing that you might want to consider too is leaf blowers leaf blowers are amazingly intrusive in the suburbs and it's something that uh you know monday through friday i get up and go outside that's probably the number one thing i hear is leaf blowers so if you're recording and not to say that leaf blowers are exclusively you know turned on in the morning but if you're recording during the day and you're record let's say you're recording some super quiet violin parts you're going to have to factor in some leaf blowing if you're in the city, no matter what you're doing, you're going to be faced with some sounds of the city. You know, obviously honking, sirens, sirens come in all shapes and sizes, police, EMS, fire, uh, natural disaster sirens, depending on where you live. And obviously, you know, the neighbor thing in the city, very challenging. You know, if you live in an apartment, your wall is connected to your neighbor's wall and your floor might have somebody below it or your ceiling might have somebody above it all factors. Now you can live in the city and live in single family homes, obviously, you know, maybe you have a, a brownstone single family home in Brooklyn. Uh, maybe you have a, a standalone home in Oakland. There is kind of a blending of, of these things in different scenarios, but I'm just trying to give you some cookie cutter basics here. 
Uh, the other thing uh, to talk about is, do you own or do you rent? And if you rent, you're potentially limited to what you can get away with. Uh, some landlords have restrictions on painting or uh, putting stuff up on the walls. Yeah, I've had some crazy landlords for sure. And, and in that case, you're going to have to think a little more modular. Maybe your acoustic treatments are floor stand based acoustic treatments. Maybe you're not hanging speakers from the ceiling, but coming up with kind of a workaround. I know that uh, there are speakers that can be mounted on big boom stands. Not very big speakers, of course, but it can be done. Or you're going to have to deal with very tall floor stands. Obviously, this is, you know, for the Dolby Atmos crowd that's hanging speakers from the ceiling. So yeah, a mod modular way of thinking is a potential factor. Now, if you own, obviously, you can get away with anything you want. Uh, you can make structural changes. You can paint. You can do anything. You can uh, hang speakers from the ceiling. And then that gets us into the world of, you know, soundproofing and, and sound treatment. Now, obviously, those are two very different things. And I know most of you know what that means. But for those that don't, soundproofing is basically keeping the outside sounds from getting in and the inside sounds from getting out. And that requires generally building a room within a room kind of scenario versus just sound treatment where we're just hanging acoustic treatment on the walls and, you know, making changes in that area to make the room sound good. So two very different things there, obviously. If you own, you can get away with uh, soundproofing. You can get away with building a room within a room if you think that that's the way to go. Many factors to consider. I mean, I'm just kind of scratching the surface here with some ideas, but definitely some things to think about. In my particular situation, all we did was take a spare bedroom and convert that into a small mixing and mastering room. And as I mentioned in the beginning, I, I have done some overdubs in here in the past, but for the most part, I pretty much just mix and master out of here. And the room must have been an addition because the walls are not exactly parallel, which is to my benefit. It's a mid-century modern home, so the ceiling slopes. So it's not parallel to the floor, also to my advantage. And we didn't do anything structural. It's all aesthetic, you know, it's acoustic treatments, it's reclaimed wood on the wall, uh, some Ikea curtains, and you know, it's, you know, some paint, some sticky carpet squares, cause there was like some Spanish tile in here and that just wasn't gonna work for me. So I didn't do anything major here. Now we're kind of in a, we'll call it the country burbs kind of place. We're in the suburbs, but we're in this very forested area. And our neighbors are next door on either side of us, but they're not that close. They're like probably, uh, I would say like 40 feet away, maybe, uh, maybe more. So, you know, I could turn it up, walk out the front door and you can't even hear anything. So there's no impact there. Now I'm not tracking drums. I'm not tracking, you know, bass on an amp. I'm not really tracking, I'm just mixing. So what I do here does not affect the neighbors whatsoever. Leaf blowers, I can shut out by just making sure the windows are shut. We have, you know, good windows. Uh, planes and helicopters, that gets through. UPS trucks occasionally will get through, make me, you know, stop the music and go, what, what is that sound? Uh, but other than that, that's all we've done. It's, it's not a big investment in the space other than the gear, obviously. You know, one thing that I didn't mention and I'll mention here is that who you live with is a factor. Do you have family? Do you have roommates? And if you do, then you're gonna have to make some concessions there. Now, I 
exercise, you know, restraint on speakers when the whole house is full and people are doing stuff. Kids are doing homework. My wife's office is actually in an ADU outside of the house, so that's not too much of a factor. So if she and I are the only two home, then I can I can go nuts. Uh, but when people are home and, you know, people are trying to relax, I generally retreat to headphones just to be courteous to everybody else. And if you have roommates, that's going to be a factor and it's going to cut into your, your time. Now, if your roommates work from home, you're probably going to be on headphones most of the time because you need your roommates to help pay the rent, right? And you have to continue to work to pay the rent. So you're going to have to make some concessions in that department. Now, one thing to think about too is uh, small speakers that, set, you know, like I've mentioned the IK Multimedia iLoud speakers in the past, I think. I bought a pair of those. You can listen at low volumes on those and get really good work done. They reproduce the lows really well at low volumes. So that's something to consider. The, you know, little tricks like that. So that said, I hope this is useful to you. I hope that uh, it helps you, you know, factor in your own personal scenario, but uh, there's no one size fits all situation. You've just got to take your own personal thing into account and figure it out from there. And then of course your budget will determine what exactly you're going to do to mitigate sounds or make the space as elaborate as you want to want to get. So either way, good luck to you. And if you have a story to share about this, uh, feel free to send me an email, matt at workingclassaudio.com. I'd love to hear about your particular situation. That's my rant. Thanks for listening. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet, easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might've met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might've heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You can talk with me about it. 
As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. Let's get to it. Golden Gate Mixers, here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Well, hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, good to have you here. Yeah. Or I could say good to have us here, because, you know, I mean, I'm part of this collective. So let's dive right into that, that whole bit, the Golden Gate Mixers thing, and the whole collective idea which I mentioned in the intro was kind of inspired by Katie Tavini and her Weird Jungle Collective. You know, I pitched it to you guys and you seem to be on board with it. So I'm just curious what your perspective of our collective is. I think it's, well, it's a way to kind of get together and join forces. I mean, for me, it's been, the best thing about it has been just having you really close collaborators and, and bouncing ideas off. And we've bounced mixes back and forth that we're working on. And the way we communicate, we can just talk to each other really openly and, and candidly. And and I really appreciate that. So I consider you guys my first place to go when I have any any mixing questions or doubts. And so it's it's been great. It's been great to to have you guys and being part of this collective. So thank you for having me. <laughs> McKay, what, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I didn't expect all the rehearsals, choreography and stuff, but I, I, I <laughs> think that's working out great. You, you know? like the dance once, outfits I picked up? Yeah, once we take that on the road, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> I think similarly, back in the day, we had studio people. There were more than one engineer and one in the studio or whatnot, and we get that we go track a band or something, but we all have mix and production rooms at home that aren't 2,000, 3,000 square feet. So I think you wanted to talk about working from home and those kind of things too a bit or working in a private studio by yourself without a team of engineers. So I dig being able to just have a crew, you know, <laughs> talk about what you're excited about and nag each other a bit about what's wrong with this thing and this software update is weird or are you having this trouble no i'm not okay you know that stuff is great and plus you guys are just awesome so you guys are so awesome <laughs> group hug you know i think what i really enjoy about it is also like celebrating the wins the high profile things that we get done or do and like when rado won his grammy we were all like <laughs> I guess it, it helps it take it out of a selfish kind of perspective. Mm. It, it's kind of like more about the team of people, even though we're not necessarily working on stuff together, although that would be an interesting experiment to try, which we could always do. But I just, I guess I like the camaraderie and the approaching it as a, as a group of friends 
than just by myself. Yeah, I think there's also something about people that have all been doing it a, a long time because you've been through these different ups and downs. You'd have worked in different studios. We work with different people. And there's this understanding about the struggle and the successes. And when there are either successes on an, an indie project that sounds amazing for a certain budget or high profile, big budget stuff that gets a lot of attention you understand both of those on an intimate level because you've been, you've done it for decades. That's a big shared knowledge. It's almost like a foxhole thing or something, you know, getting through the industry changes and all those kind of things and having such a deep, crazy passion for music and audio that you just keep doing it. And you guys are like that. And I think in this day and age, we all work in silos so much that. Mm it's good to go out and have people that you trust and that you can confide in with your problems, with your, yeah, wins and losses and stuff. And learn too. I mean, I learned so much from you guys, how you, you approach things, not only technically, but also I think we've had text conversations about how much do you charge, how much, you know, what do you, how many revisions you do and things like that. It's just questions that come up while you are a professional, you know, you don't have a manager. Okay. So who, who, who am I asking? Who can I trust? And I think it's, it's a really, really good thing to have. And I think it outward for clients too, I think it helps them too, knowing that working with a collective, it helps to know it's legitimate that we're not selling a product that we can't stand behind it and so i i don't know i feel like it's more like a we can present as a company as opposed to as just a single entity and just oh yeah i'm a mixer i've i've done it before it's like no 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 we're the, the three of us the combined experience and depth of work that we've we've done just kind of speaks for itself and and mm. legitimizes uh what we do yeah, I also, what I like is we've all been exposed to high-level artists, but for the most part, we do work with a lot of indie artists, Yeah. yet we have a large number of years in it. So it would be lopsided if one of us was just starting or had only like five or 10 years in. So there's a certain level of respect but also just having that experience for me, knowing that you two have the experience that you have, getting the feedback from you about whether it's a, a mixed thing, a technical thing, or a business thing, like that carries weight with me. I take you guys seriously. I may not always agree with the exact approach, or I may differ in how I would deal with the, the particular issue, but hearing what you have to say, it's like, huh, I should really think about that. I should consider that. Whereas if you're on a forum or even if you're like, I mean, with all due respect to all of our peers, I mean, it's sometimes, you know, like the, the Bay Area audio nerds thing is fantastic, but it's also somewhat in passing too. It's like we, yeah. we see everybody like once a month, but I see you guys or talk to you guys all the time. So there's, uh, I think I, I tend to lean on you more than I do as the larger group. So, yeah, it's informative for me, and it's, I think it helps to build in another level of confidence of, oh, yeah, I got this. My buddies have 
not called me out on some kind of weird thing. So I feel good about it. Well, I think the Bay Area audio nerds is kind of a completely different thing because it's so much bigger. A lot more people are a part of that. And it's more of a social thing. That's how I kind of look at it. Yeah. Where you just meet people you haven't met or you, I mean, exchange ideas maybe a little bit but, or gigs sometimes. I mean, I've, people have exchanged opportunities amongst the, the members and that's been great to hear about those things. And mm-hmm. so it's more kind of a, a group as opposed to a working collective like like the three of us. And also... The number of people in a collective, I think, is really important, too. And right now we're the three of us. And I think that's good because if as soon as you have too many people in a collective, then it gets a little harder, too, to communication and exchange of, of ideas and knowledge and stuff. So I'm just saying I think it's great to have these two groups that we're all a part of and can contribute but also gain from. Yeah, I th- I think you're spot on though with the number. I know that with the Dolby Atmos Mixers Network that McKay and I are a part of, that number grew very quickly. It went from a small group of people to almost 40 in a very short period of time. And we still have good communications, but I think that it kind of dilutes a little bit as you get too big. You could still have the communication and the camaraderie and all that, but I think that it becomes a different dynamic. I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just, it's a different feel when you have a larger number of people where for us, just being three, it's, it keeps it manageable. Plus, McKay just talks so much. Oh my <laughs> God, he never fucking shares <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, you know, I've got a lot to say, man. I've got a lot to say. No, and I tell you though, McKay... What I love about your approach to things is, to me, it always comes with, not not like you don't think deep, Rado, but I mean, McKay, he has this brain. It's like, <laughs> I've explained it to other people before. I'm like, I'm the kind of guy that likes to just pull up to the, the gas station and put the pump in and pump the gas. McKay will take something like that and think it through a little more. Like, He'll start to, and I'm exaggerating here. Where are the snacks? No, no, it goes beyond that. You'll like start to think, well, if I pulled forward two more feet, would the hose stretch? And mm, would I get a better angle? Of, what's the, the angle of this gas pump? And I, I completely agree. Like, I, I don't, I don't think you or I think like that. I want to know, no, no. Sorry, that was an Alanis Morissette thing. It was relevant. <laughs> I, I think McKay's just a, you really need to wear a white lab coat. I think that plaid shirt is just not doing you justice. <laughs> yeah. I like to know how things are affecting the emotion of stuff. It's like, how can I squeeze another 0.8% out of the emotion of this? And it's like, oh, if I turn that knob to the left, it does this thing and it sounds more exciting. You know? I think we need to get him a lab coat that says the professor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mad professor. No, I just I agree with you, Matt. I'm I'm just as long as the kick drum hits real hard and, and <laughs> it gets me moving, then I'm but good. But why? But yeah, why? No, 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 no. Sometimes we don't need to ask why. Sometimes <laughs> I know, we just need to just go. He's like the Bill Nye of I know. audio. Yes, I want to know absolutely. why. I want to. I want to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> How can I repeat that? Like you'd be right at home on MythBusters, I think. 
<laughs> you used to do a Mythbusters for audio or something like that. Yeah, I don't know if I'm into that. It's <laughs> too much no, work. No, I'm talking to McKay. He should start his own show. Yeah, I just want to believe. I don't, yeah. don't want to know. I don't want to know the myth's not true. So we were talking from home, or, or we were talking about working from home, and I am talking from home. This has worked out for me quite well. And it kind of came around 2012 when I got out of the studio in San Francisco and came with all my gear home and was like, okay, I guess this is what I'm doing now. And I was a little hesitant at first, but then I really embraced it and dug in. And then obviously the COVID thing happened and I was already like in the thick of working from home. So it was no big change for me. Zoom calls were a part of daily life prior to COVID for me. So I'm curious about your guys' experience with working from home. What's the history of that for you? And what are the pros and the cons? I can speak to that a bit. My second studio in LA was a big studio, commercial space with multiple rooms and whatnot. And we lived in a house about maybe four blocks away, which still had a bit of a commute, but there was a, a building behind that studio that used to be a nightclub and the people moved out. So we we leased that building and then converted it into a big loft. And I had about 10 or 12 feet to walk across a patio to get into that studio. So that was kind of like many years of getting used to just reminding myself to put on pants <laughs> before you <laughs> go meet a client, you know? So I'm kind of used to walking in, in my current mixed production room is built behind our house. So it's similar. It's maybe 50 feet, 40 feet away from the house. So I'm used to that walk and that commute and getting ready for people. A lot of my work is mixing these days. And if I'm producing things, I may have a client coming in to track guitars or listen to edits or listen to mixes or do vocals or those kind of things. But a lot of it especially pandemic was all about Zoom. So we got really used to that. And I think a lot of clients have gotten kind of used to that too. There's nothing like being in person, but occasionally if it's just listening to an edit or something that they don't have to drive 30 minutes to an hour or something to do, they're like, let's just do this one over Zoom because I just need to hear what's going on and I can share my screen, that kind of thing. But for tracking and all that stuff, I don't have as much as of the client flow in person as I did in a commercial studio space. So there's a lot less, I need to be super presentable all the time. I'm not over here like with mold growing off my eyebrows or anything <laughs> from day to day, but I can just like, oh, you know what? Nobody's coming in today. I'm throwing on a hat and I'm putting on the this grungy shirt or whatever, and I'm going to go focus in the studio or I'll take a walk or something. And I'm very used to the flow. And I built this place to be super comfortable. And I've seen you guys' studios too, which are, I think it speaks to, A, how long you've been doing it because you have requirements of what you're going to do all day, how, the environment you're going to be in all day. <laughs> The beauty of that in a personalized space is you can tailor it to the way it feels to you because you're the one in the chair all day, every day, and you can walk in a room and go, it feels good to be here. And I built my space similarly, and there's natural light. We've all got natural light, which coming from working in commercial spaces, that was just not a thing. You know, you're just in a cave all the time. So 
for me, and I, I think for both of you, you know, we can all be excited about the space we're in and we come to work and we're like, it's great to be here. I'm working on music. I'm excited about the room I'm in. I'm close to home. So I, my wife works from home a couple of days a week. So we get to have a, have lunch a lot and just hang out during breaks and those kind of things. Those are the super positive things that I love about that. Some of the downsides versus the studio, like I mentioned earlier, is you don't you don't have other engineers or producers or other artists that other people in the building are working with that you kind of hang out in the break area and those kind of things. But the fact that my favorite person around is around a lot of the time, my wife, you get somebody to hang out with and talk about what's going on in your day. And now with the the collective, I have you guys to FaceTime or chat or call up and say, hey, what's going on with this? How do I, how do I mic this hi-hat from 80 feet away? You know, <laughs> whatever it is, whatever you're into, man, we can kind of make those calls. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Samply.app. Check it out. You didn't soundproof that space, did you? Yeah, yeah. We've got... Four layers of drywall, and there was an initial layer of soundboard pre-existing. So the walls have five layers of five-eighths drywall, and the ceiling has two layers of five-eighths. I can't put more on the ceiling because it really can't support that. And then double doors, so a solid core door on the outside and a double-pane full-glass door, glass and wood on the inside, so I can open the outer solid core door and I get just amazing daylight and viewing space. So I'm doing mixes and you get that point where you want to get away from the the sweet spot and listen to things off center or further away from the speakers or you're listening to playback or print. I just walk over to the the door where I can see the redwoods and those kind of things and just look out and kind of ask the squirrels and the hummingbirds, <laughs> what do they think of my kick drum? You know what I mean? <laughs> but it, I can kind of hear it that way. And there's this disconnect from this 
constant triangle that we're in of listening, especially in stereo or in Atmos, same kind of sweet spot. When you can get out of that, where you're looking at Pro Tools or Ableton or Logic or whatever you're in, you can get your eyeballs away from that and step over to the window or walk outside or all of us have some kind of immediately accessible space that are a few steps away where we can zoom out, get your brain out of mixed mode and kind of just listen and see if you catch something in the forest that you didn't see when you're in the trees, you know? <laughs> well, Rado, what's, what's been your experience with it? So uh, very similar to McKay's really, I used to work in, in bigger studios, multi-room studios, the Magic Shop in New York, and then Studio 880 in Oakland, which became Jingletown. And during that time, I did enjoy being in a, in a place where there's a lot of people hanging out all the time. There's always stuff going on. And then early 2000s, I don't know, around 2007 or so, I started working at Fantasy Studios in Berkeley a lot, which is a multi-room facility. And I just love being able to walk down the hallways and peek into all the different rooms and say, hey, what are you guys doing? And let me see your setup. And I just love that because you learn a, you learn so much, and B, you meet a lot of people. Um, and you just mm -hmm. feel like you're part of a community, of a recording community. But I did build a cottage just similar to McKay's behind my house in, in 2006 and moved in in 2007, mainly for mixing, but also for production. I do quite a bit of production and writing. I had it set up where I can record guitars and vocals and things like that. And I was in there for... Yeah, a little over 10 years. And I kind of outgrew the space a little bit. I really, there's two things that I had a hard time with after 10 years was one was it was a little too small. I kept buying gear and I wanted to do more productions and I just needed more space. If if there were more than three people in the studio, it, was, it got a little crowded. And the other thing was I felt very isolated. I did a lot of mixing and a lot of the production work that I was doing was by myself. And so I really missed that that exchange uh, with other people. And at that point in 2018, I looked for a room in a multi-facility, multi-room facility again, just to kind of, A, to get a bigger recording space, but also to be with other people. And I found that in, at Airship Laboratories in Richmond. And I stayed there until the pandemic. It was a two-room facility, great sounding live room. And so I got that a little back but once pandemic hit, I would drive 30 minutes to the studio and there would be nobody there because everyone was working from home, that you, I couldn't have any clients in the studio. So at that point, I was isolated again, paying rent. So I just decided I might as well just go back home because I, I kind of had the feeling the pandemic was going to stay for a while. So I moved back. At that point, my wife took up the cottage for her home office and I moved into a big family room downstairs of our house that we have, and it's about 500 square feet. And I just, it's a one room recording, mixing, writing room at this point. And I have enough space to have my drums and guitars and everything set up, ready to go. And if I need to, to do a little over it up, I can do that within a minute, I'm ready to go. I don't have to set up any microphones. and. Now my wife, just like with McKay, my wife works from home most of the time, so I get to see her too. I'm not so isolated anymore, and I've been really enjoying it. So I've been back here since uh, 2020, 
I don't miss it. I love coming downstairs and just being in my room and and mixing, recording, writing. And I, I don't think I would want it any other way at this point. I have what I need and it works out for me. I have, it's great. I, it's got its separate entrance. I have a bathroom down here too. So I can have clients over, which I, I do have clients over on, on, on a regular basis. And but it's a big enough room where we can just kind of be together. A whole band can come over and, and it's okay. So I have one, one suggestion for you for your space. You need a little coffee bar area dedicated for that space. <laughs> Matt would say that about any space. <laughs> yeah. Any space, so, like where's the coffee bar? <laughs> when Matt came over the first time, you literally, I think you looked at everything very closely, and I'm glad that was the only suggestion you have, uh, <laughs> because there's a lot of other things you could you could have mentioned. Well, no, you did, did. You gave me some other suggestions too. Yeah, I guess I could, but you know, a lot of people these days I've noticed they bring their own coffee. Mm. Is that a is that a passive aggressive hint? <laughs> a lot of you you are a lot of people matt yeah next time you need to bring your own coffee no 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 you're not a client that's different <laughs> that's right you know what you have that i really like is you have the couch and if you i had your space and you also failed to mention that you've got room for drums and a small piano like a baby grand is that right yeah yep. and you've got your mixing area you got your bathroom but you have the couch with the coffee table. My temptation would be to lay back there on that couch and listen to music, and then I would fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, yep. You've also got the whole analog dry wet situation where you can take the guitar and actually throw it in your pool. <laughs> <laughs> yes, McKay. If you have any guitars you want wet, you bring them up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can throw them in the pool. That's right. You've got a pool. So unlike McKay with all of his drywall, you didn't do any of that. No, on the old, on my cottage studio, I did do that. That one's fairly soundproof. And I would actually set up my drums in there and record. And I have a great neighborhood. Nobody really cares if I have the windows or doors open playing drums. Really, mm -hmm. nobody cares, which is awesome. Now downstairs in this room that I'm at, yes, there's no soundproofing. I'm, obviously, there's some acoustic treatment going on but as far as shielding my noise from everywhere else no i don't have that and it's okay because during the day there's not really anyone in the house anyway and as far as playing drums i just only play drums until everyone's back home 3 a.m yeah. 3 a.m and then i stop <laughs> because the house shakes when i play the drums or when someone else dad's up again oh yeah, yeah playing right. drums oh um, they're so used to it by now you know, it's interesting. I'm in the same situation with my wife works from home. She only goes into the office two days a week. So I'm not isolated from the world because she's home. And during the summertime when we're not traveling or, you know, doing typical family stuff, the kids are home. So it you definitely still have that connection to the outside world. But it is interesting. You know, I, I've had about three studios four, three, yeah, three, three and a half, four. <laughs> and I think I'm more relaxed when I'm at my own place. And I definitely feel more confident about things aren't going to move unless I move them mm -hmm. or something's not connected or I'm not going to come in and be like, oh, they didn't clean up from last night. Or there's candy wrappers next to the mixing console. There's none of that commercial studio like 
weirdness of sharing a space. And I think the the money savings aspect of it to me is probably one of the biggest pros of all of it because you just that money that you would be paying out to somebody in rent you're not paying and you can go work there every day and you have great potential to do so much and get so much done i think what's interesting about both of you well both of you have more space than i do and so you both have the ability to track drums at your space and I'm at a point where I'm actually glad I don't have that because I'm so much trying to focus on mixing that I think that I would, it would be very easy for me to get distracted by like, oh, I think I'm just going to sit around and play drums today and <laughs> and try some drum recording techniques. Like it, it really focuses me to have a limited space and limited resources in front of me. So what I'm curious about is if you all found the opportunity, like let's say a commercial studio situation presented itself to you and it was conducive for you to work there, would you ever consider moving out of your existing spaces now based on your your experience and move to that other space, that hypothetical space? At this point, no, unless something changes in the kind of work I'm mostly getting. But for the work that I'm getting right now, I need to have drums set up all the time. I need to have guitars set up all the time because I, I need to be able to move really, really quickly. And, and that's one thing that was hard for me at being at Airship was every time I wanted to play drums on a track that I was writing or was commissioned for, I would have to set up drums, drag the drums out, drag all the microphones out. And it would take me an hour and a half to get my drums up and going. Now, within three minutes, I can track drums. So that's a huge time save for me. And really, if I have a band that we need to track all together, I go to a different studio. This is too small for that. So I go to a local studio in Oakland and I track there and I bring it home to do overdubs and, and mix. So I think at this point and for, for the foreseeable future, I, I have the room that I need and that I like. So my answer is no. Okay. What about you, McKay? You know, of course, the added expense is a different thing. So if that were taken out of it, that's one thing. I enjoy most having my own space for sure that's easily accessible. The thing that if I'm working on something I'm producing and I've got to track several people, my space gets super duper tight. Because I do have a, similarly, I have a drum kit set up. It was built mainly as a mixed room first, but I realized I could take the ceiling out and get it another three feet. So I'm like, I can do drums in here. So where normally in like a control room, mixed room, we'd have a sofa and all this client seating, I have a drum kit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's mic'd up and it's ready to go. And I can, I play on my own records or other people's records occasionally, but it makes it trickier to bring a couple of keyboards over easily. I can always bring one over. I have a different vintage and new scents and things like that that are needed occasionally but it's not like all that stuff is ready to go at all times because they're they're on a rack that aren't really playable i've got to pull them out because there's just not space to have this keyboard section station where there's a bunch of keyboards ready to go and then there's a guitar rig ready to go i do have all that stuff ready to go in some capacity but i've got to kind of move the guitar amp out mic it up pick a cab, those kind of things. So when I get 
two other people in here, it doesn't seem like that's much when there's nothing in the room. But as soon as we set up amps and mic stands for those extra things, and then people are moving around, you don't have a lot of space for people to move. So you're, you're excuse me, excuse me. Oh, excuse me. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so on the ultimate wish list, getting spoiled from having a tracking room bigger than my entire room now where I could have the drums set up, I could have different types of amps ready to go with different cabs, a vocal recording section of the live room, all those kind of things you have in a bigger facility. Ideally, an entire bottom of a house or something could fill that kind of need for me. So that's just the spoiled me from having that before where you could leave everything set up and have a station set up for that. I'm I'm pretty quick to get things rolling for overdubs and those kind of things too, but my space is smaller than Rado's is now. So I've got a mic kit set up and I can I've got a little section for vocals that makes things really quick. But once you get more than two people in here, it's super, super tight. So yeah. If it were a free commercial space, <laughs> you know, and it, and it had a, a lot of room, I would commute just for the space to have that extra like, okay, I've got eight cents and, and my Rhodes is actually at another studio because I don't have space for it here. I'd have a Rhodes, maybe a real piano, those kind of things where you we all have those kind of ultimate studio setups, which is, I think Reto's is great because he's got a a real piano and a drum station. And mm -hmm. it's like that extra, he's got about 200 more square feet. I think I'm about 300 square feet, say 14 by 22 or something like that. And that stuff gets eaten up super quick when you've got lots of acoustic treatment and cabinets for cables and things like that. And you get decades of, of gear that you don't use all the time, but if you sell it, and then you need it for a project, by the time you want to buy it back again, it's tripled in price. So we just, <laughs> the thing about all audio engineers and producers, you just carry around this giant container ship <laughs> full of gear most of your life because either A, it's not worth selling because it is not valuable to somebody else and it is to you, or it's not worth selling because it's super valuable in a couple years things that I've sold are now tripled in price. And you're like, I just need this for three songs on this record. And now it's $10,000 and I paid $800 or something, <laughs> you know, you just, so you're like, Oh, nope, don't sell stuff. I'm going to need that. And your stuff gets crowded. So you, you're getting a storage space. And then when that record comes in, you're like, okay, this is very rock record. I need to bring in all these different cabs, or this is a very synth oriented record. I need a bunch of different, those things. You know what I mean? So yeah, space is a luxury. Yeah. My wife and I, we talk a lot. We muse about the future. Like where would we wind up once the kids are gone and out of, out in the world and live in their lives? You know, would we stay here in California? Would we go to upstate New York? Would we go to Europe? All these mm -hmm. different concepts have been floated out into for consideration in the last several years. And speaking of the upstate New York thing, we've talked about, you know, like, oh, what if we went to upstate? We got a piece of land with a barn. And then I think, and she'll send me these real estate listings, you know, with a barn. And she's like, and you could put a studio in the barn. And like, she's like, and cows pulling at my heartstrings <laughs> there. And so I start to think, okay, well, here I'm shaping all of my thought patterns to be in the box, small, movable, portable travel, mm -hmm. digital nomad style. 
And here she's dangling this barn concept by me. And I'm thinking, <laughs> you could have a PA. Maybe I don't sell the late 60s Green Sparkle Ludwig kit that's I've got stored right. at Michael Rosen's studio, right? Exactly. Oh. You know, because you no, think, don't well, sell that. if don't I sell, sell that. that to get it back by the time that happens, I'm going to pay out the nose for it. Yep. So I don't know if I want to be back in the in the business of tracking at that stage in my life. However, like I still track, but not with great frequency. So one of the things that I find a big giant pain in the ass is just going to a studio and setting all the stuff up and getting the whole thing running. And then you're there for like two, three days, if you're lucky with budgets. So I think if I were to do it all over again, I would take your guys's concept and I would just have shit ready to go all the time, mic'd up, Mm-hmm. without a, a thought or care in the world. Just like, okay, let's walk in, start playing. All right, we're good to go. Let's let's record right now. Because yeah. I'm lazy, you know? That's one of the reasons I don't like playing drums out in public anymore because it's just like, I don't want to haul a drum set around. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's like a lot. such a pain in the butt. You got to really love the gig. You really do. But if there was a place you could show up, and just start playing, <laughs> that would be a different story. Yeah. I do have clients that come in to track drums or they just come here with a higher drummer to, to track drums on their project. And some of them know and some realize it and some of them don't, but there's literally no setup time. I mean, I'm waiting for the drummer to tune the drums because my mics are plugged in. They're ready to go. I mm-hmm. just have to do two clicks and... and mm-hmm. And like you said, Matt, that makes a big difference. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. The thing that I miss, obviously, is a bigger room to have a little bit more air moving. It's more like a 70s, really dry studio in here, which, you know, has its cool aspects and stuff. And and, and a lot of times I do like that sound, Mm -hmm. but sometimes I do want to have a little more air and, but, you know, like everything else, budgets have come down and it's, it's, it's harder to justify paying a lot of money to go to a, a big studio these days and it's harder to find good sounding live rooms too because a lot of studios are closing mm-hmm. at least in the bay actually some might open up again but if i have the luxury yeah I'll, i like to go to a big room and but most of the time that that's that budget's not there and then we just just stay here and track drums here yeah and my temptation is to just charge more because i'm like god if i'm gonna have to be out for three days and not get any mix work done and be gone from the family and have to make all those accommodations for scheduling and all that i'm just like yeah it's gonna cost this much and i'm not trying to price myself out but i'm trying to like say to make it a value to me it's got to be at least, you got to be this tall to ride the ride kind of thing. You know, all of us are in a particular situation, housing type situations where we're not in apartments. I'm curious because there's a lot of listeners who would be in apartments and I'm wondering how you would approach it if you were in an apartment. Clearly you wouldn't be tracking drums. I've done it, but that's that's definitely a navigation thing. I'm like, who's at home at three o'clock on Wednesday? Right. <laughs> and even in San Francisco, where all the buildings are literally glued to each other. The beauty of actually hiring out a room is you can show up and make a mess and leave. And when you're running your own facility, your your setup and breakdown is a lot more than just the session. I think. Obviously, if I didn't have the space and the house, I would probably rent a room. 
just to kind of keep it separate, either share it with someone or if the rent is low enough, I have it on my own like I had in Richmond. But it is good for me to have this room be somewhat isolated from the rest of the house. So the family, I know once I walk into the store, this is work, this is my office. And it's not part of the living quarters, basically. It's not like a corner of a living room or or a bedroom where you have your setup and things like that. Then I think it gets really hard to separate work from private, from family, from your job. And I would suggest at that point, see if you can afford a room that you can rent, even if it's a small room, if you share a room with someone else. But I think that separation is really good. It's good to have. And I definitely learned that when I had the cottage too, I had to learn to have that self-discipline to say, I'm going to work until this time. And tonight I am not stepping into the studio because it's so easy to just like, oh, let me just turn on the computer again and and do a couple (laughs) of things, right? Four hours later. But that self-discipline to say, I'm going to work on, or I'm not at work and and really Mm -hmm. defend define those two spaces is really important when you have a studio at home, I think. Even harder if you have your setup as part of another room. I mean, I do know people that have their little setup in their bedroom. I wouldn't even know how to deal with that because that is so hard to separate. So it's mostly, be, I mean, beyond the obvious constraints of living in an apartment with people above you, below you, to the side right. of you. It's more about the separation of the life of the people you live with. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. Obviously, yeah, neighbors too. You got to be lucky you have some good neighbors, but how are your neighbors, McKay? Yeah. Oh, they're they're great, actually. When I built this for soundproof reasons, I was like, oh, this is also going to be a drum room. So that means a lot of questions. (laughs) So the building I have is a decent amount ways away from the houses themselves. So I I figured some dissipation was going to happen with my soundproofing that it wouldn't be a big deal. But turns out as I was building this place, they were building an ADU, I guess it's additional dwelling unit or something they call them in California. So they were going to build their garage into an apartment unbeknownst to me. So it turns out that that apartment is about a foot away. The wall is about a foot away from my studio space, which of course, two walls that are a foot away just creates this chamber in between the buildings too. That's just this big bass boom. So I had a bunch of concerns about that. So I did a bunch of testing early on and I could go into all how you can do all that stuff. But the tenant that lived there said she could hear it a little bit, but barely. It's mostly about bass at that point, you kick drum and those kind of things that you'll hear boom, 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 you know, <laughs> it's just hard to block that. But she was, she was like, I can hear it a little bit, but I actually really like it. it. never bugs me. And almost all my work is during the day. And if I'm, it's rare that I'm tracking drums. Cause I, you know, if there are 10 songs on a record, I might track for maybe 10 days on that record. And that record can take a while. If I'm tracking for other clients for their record, just playing drums and that may just be every once in a while as well. So that's not an issue at all. So those people sold that house and another person moved in, which made me a bit nervous, like, oh my God, who's going to live a foot away from my drum kit? That Occasionally, I don't just play for clients, but I like to try to 
work on my chops and those kind of things too occasionally and it's a good way to relax after mixing all day or something i can literally just go back to the kit and go you know what let me work on this foot technique or something for a little bit but the new new people that moved in i met turns out they one of the guys ends up randomly is working with my buddy cliff toon who helped build the studio so he's a he's been a live sound engineer for years and years, and now he does big AV installs, and his mother lives in the ADU in the back. I was like, oh, no, no. Oh, yeah, she used to be a Tyco drummer for 20 years. She loves drums. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, oh, my God, the lottery. It's good to just check in with your neighbors and go, let me test this out and see how this is working. I don't track drums all the time, but let's see if this is even an issue over there. And same thing. She says, I can hear it a little bit, but it is not a bother at all. Plus, we live in Oakland in the city, you know, so sometimes there's cars driving by with big 808s and there's people working on their yards and those kind of things. In my studio itself, as far as using microphones, the only time I really hear anything with my double doors closed is maybe a helicopter overhead because my ceiling is two layers of drywall. And that stuff kind of comes through a bit. So occasionally if I'm doing really intimate acoustic guitar or something where I really got to crank the gain up, I may wait for a helicopter to go by or something, but everything else is pretty fully blocked out. And occasionally a squirrel, I have two redwoods next to the studio and occasionally a squirrel will jump off the tree, land on the roof and go. (laughs) So you, you might hear that on some of my records occasionally, but that's rare as well. But I'm looking for that squirrel on the roof sound. Right, I got I got dogs barking every now and then, so that's part of my records. <laughs> it's part of my part of my brand. Yeah, exactly. It's gonna say my neighbors. I talked to them eventually. The ones that had no clue that I had a drum kit back here, and they're like, "I've never heard it ever." And there's four houses near us. Occasionally, I'll play with just one of the doors closed because I'm not really ripping. Like some records, I'm really digging in hard. But if I'm just practicing on stuff. I may be playing at a more moderate volume. And I, I put in earplugs after I'm mixing or something, so I don't kill my ears. But So out of the three of us, you know, McKay and I, audience, we're mixing out most currently. Rado, you've recently been contemplating it. And I, I don't know if hanging around McKay and I is influencing part of that or are there other factors, but you're thinking about it. So do you want to talk just a little bit about that without going down a big rabbit hole? Well, definitely part of it was FOMO, fear of missing out. Seeing you guys talk about it all the time. and and, It smells so good. We're so cool. I want to be cool. Um, And the other thing is I've always been on the fence about it. I've attended many immersive audio evenings as part of the Bay Area audio nerds group that Michael Romanowski is doing at his place mm. very graciously. And and so I've been to a, a lot of those where we just talk about immersive audio and listen to different mixes. And that's been really educational and, and cool. But I always told myself, I'm not going to get into it and spend a bunch of money and time to kind of get up to speed unless I have work in the pipeline. That was kind of my my main parameter. Because just to do it, just to do it, mm-hmm. I don't like doing that. I'm too cautious. I'm too conservative when it comes to that. I'm a very cautious person when it comes to investment and new things, really. But 
In the last month or so, I had a couple of projects, not projects, but opportunities come up where there is a good potential for me to actually have some work down the line mm -hmm. to the point where it's like, okay, yes, it is worth for me to jump into this rabbit hole and go for it. And I am super thankful that I have this community and mainly you guys too, to bounce off ideas and ask, what do I need to do? And Matt has hooked me up with some people. And so I'm definitely reaping the benefits of you guys having gone through it and just kind of going through the pains. And you guys can just definitely help me speed the whole process up. And it's it's a steep learning curve and I'm slowly kind of getting into it. I'm, I still need to buy speakers and I need to get a new interface and it'll be a minute until I'm up and, and running, but I'm just going to ride the wave as long as I can and, and see where it leads me. And I'm excited about it. So, I mean, you're, you're kind of like really beyond thinking about it. You're actually- No, I'm of, going for it. You're going I'm for it. Okay. It's it. just I'm a matter it. of time. Okay. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's a good thing that McKay and I don't have meth labs because then you'd be like, I want to set a meth lab up. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. You guys are such, such a big influence on me. You could pretty much do anything and I would do, do the same. It'd be terrible. And, uh, I thought you said meth busters earlier too. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll update you on how it's going. And I hit up McKay, you know, what was it, two days ago, and he helped me out. And, and I've talked to Matt, you, a bunch about it, too. And yeah, it's good to have friends. <laughs> well, and, and you're, you're at a great point, too, because I think a lot of the things that McKay and I went through, you're not going to have to go through. And like, just for example, new Pro Tools came out yesterday. I've already installed it. And found like, okay, here are the pros, here are the cons, but all in all, it's a much more mature product than it was when I think McKay and I got our, our system set up and it, it's going to make it easier on everybody. You mean mature, like the text is bigger in Pro Tools now? Because that would that'd be awesome. <laughs> no, you've got to get the AARP plugin ah, to, to see the bigger <laughs> fonts. Yeah, that's why I want that Apple VR thing so I can just blow it up really big and make all the plug-in fonts right. huge. <laughs> yeah. It'd be cool if you could nod your head to scroll like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. down, mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I could just talk to it. Like I talked to the Comcast remote and I could just say, Fab Filter EQ, boom, and it would be there. Yeah, that'd be sweet. I bet Andrew Shep's going to write that script. Andrew's working, <laughs> on, working yeah. on his sound flow thing. That would be awesome. Well, any other topics you all wanted to uh, bring up? Well, one thing I'd like to say, I mean, it's, it's definitely in regards to the collective that we have. I mean, we're all mixing engineers and we're all mixing records. To a certain point, a similar style too. And a question of competition comes up. It's like, aren't we oh, yeah. trying to chase each other's jobs? Uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. I mean, that's what I would, if someone else said, oh yeah, we're doing a collective. Well, aren't you competitors? I mean, aren't you going oh, yeah. to steal each other's job? Our friends have definitely asked some, some pointed questions. And I think it's a good point, but at the same time, just because we do the same thing doesn't have to be we're competitors doesn't have to mean we're competitors. And just like I said, 
I'm building something, I'm looking for answers, I got questions, and or bouncing mixes off each other. That has nothing to do with the competition. And I think as long as if you're in a collective, you respect boundaries, you respect, I mean, Matt, you're mixing for someone that I've, I used to do a lot of work with in the past. Yeah. And, you know, you got that connection. There would be no way for me to go to your client and say, hey, come on, I'm, I can do this too. Why aren't you sending it to me? That's just certain kind of codes that we abide by. And I, it, at the end, there's enough work for everyone, really. So it's it's not like there's only five mixing jobs a year in Bay Area and we all have to contend for that. So I just kind of wanted to bring that up because I'm sure people are, are asking themselves, why, why are they, they're taking each other's jobs away? I never even thought of that. And you know what? If I lost a mix gig to either of you, I would be totally at peace with it. I'd be like, oh, okay, great. Those guys have it. They'll take care of it. They'll make sure it's done right. I think I get frustrated more when I see somebody just say, well, we're going to go with this convenient choice and that convenient choice yields a terrible result. And I just, I hear the final result and go, well, you get what you pay for. But with you guys, if I lost out to you, I know it would sound great and I know it would be done right. So it would be different. And I know that you guys are not really into the race to the bottom concept either and that you would charge a fair rate. So it doesn't bug me in that respect. And if anything, I think when I see you guys succeed at things, it eggs me on. It, mm -hmm. it motivates me. You know, when you got your Grammy, I mean, shit, that motivated the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 was, I was happy for you and I was motivated at the same time. And those are two positive outcomes. And instead of being jealous or envious or like, oh, he doesn't deserve that. Like, I don't feel that at all. I'm just kind of like, oh yeah, okay. Got to step it up. Rado's doing a good job here. <laughs> and I like that. I like that. Like, instead of like race to the bottom, let's get on the ladder and, and climb to the top with you. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it feels more like a wrecking crew situation or more like a bunch of artists that are presenting their works in a gallery you don't see one like going in at night and pasting their painting over somebody else's you know it's like people go in the gallery and they they artists come to mixers to to get your perspective you know mm -hmm. your vibe there's a skill involved that you have to learn in order to be able to make the interpretations clear enough to hear in some way but it's not like people are are hiring the better playing guitarist at a certain level, they're like, this person fits the vibe I'm going for. You know right. what I mean? We've all worked with some of the best musicians out there and it's not like you're picking one because they fit the project. You could have two people that play the same style and you're like, they're both super funky or they, they both can rock so hard, but there's some nuance that you pick and that becomes really evident as you've been doing it a, a good while. There's occasionally like, oh, I would have liked to have that gig, not one of you guys that's happened, but in, in you're like some artist you really love and you see that record came out and you're like, oh, you know, I would have loved to have mixed Thriller and Atmos or something, you know, <laughs> but you're not mad at the person who did it. You're, you're just like, oh, that's a project that would have been fun to do, whether you knew who did it or not. I think we all have that feeling, but there's never like this kind of super jealousy thing. It's just like we're all working pros that love art. And when it comes out, we're like, I can't wait to hear that. And sometimes you're like, oh, 
yeah, that's cooler than I would have come at it. And sometimes you're like, oh, I would have heard that differently. But it's more like an art gallery situation. You got three artists that you can pick from. Also, if somebody comes at me and says, can you do this in this time frame and I'm busy, I'm going to be like, no, but I know two other people that you could go to. Right. I would instantly recommend they go to you because once again, I know it'll get done right. And it'll get done with a level of quality. I have to acknowledge once again, Katie Tavini and the Weird Jungle Collective and how that inspired us to do this. But I wanted to mention, and I can't remember his name. We, we've texted back and forth. There is a listener in Italy, I believe, who inspired by our thing, because I talked about it, they started a collective there, oh, which awesome. I really... I'm just stunned by and really happy about. And I apologize for not knowing the guy's name off the top of my head. I'd have to look up where the message came from. I think it was possibly over Instagram. But anyways, yeah, it's a cool thing to do, I think. I think what it, it's a modern way to to create co-work situations. Mm-hmm. And because we are so isolated in this day and age, I think it's really important to have something like that. Because the music is so inter- interactive right? Every part of the production and writing is so interactive. And I just feel like we're, we're starting to lose that a little bit. And I think it's important to have other people around you that you feel comfortable with and, and have a support system. I think it's a support system too, that mm. if you just work by yourself, you don't have that. It's just you alone all the time fighting the battle. And I think having some people around you that you can trust and lean on, I think is, is, is really important in this, in this business and day and age. I'll throw this out there. I don't know if we've talked about this. I think this would be fun, but like maybe like once a month or I don't know, once every three months, depending on how busy we are, it'd be fun to do like get, get a song from somebody and then all of us mix it <laughs> and he, just to hear how different the results would be. Just do stereo mix in the beginning. Maybe we do an Atmos mix later. Or maybe the person who ends up getting voted as the best mix, like maybe there's somebody that votes on it. I don't know who that would be yet, but uh, that person would then do the Atmos mix, which would be <laughs> funny. But I just think that as similar as we all are in some respects, you know, we're also very different in our approaches. And to mm-hmm. hear how you guys would mix something against how I would mix it, I think would be fascinating to hear. Yeah. That is awesome. I've had the chance to hear that. Both of things that I've mixed or things I've mixed that got mastered by several different engineers because the artist was shopping, but like mix-offs for like label stuff, you don't usually get to hear that, but I've got to hear a couple things where some hero mixers were on it or people that I wasn't aware of. And you, when you listen to the different interpretations and they're all good, you know what I mean? It's so crazy what somebody can highlight in energy. Maybe it's an instrument, but maybe it's more about the low end or more about the mid-range or somebody really turned up the Barry sax and it made it feel completely different from what you were going for, you know? That, that's really cool. I don't know when any of us would have time to do that on the regular, but it, it's all, it would be We should contemplate it. I hate to cut our conversation off, but I've got a kid at summer school who's trying to get ahead in geometry by taking a class ahead of the next year and awesome. uh, I got to go pick them up guys. Great to see you as usual. Great to hang out. Always good to talk. We could have mm-hmm. our own podcast. Funny enough. <laughs> no. And we've got some content coming out. Golden gate mixers. That's going to be 
funny, I think. We, we hope it'll be funny. <laughs> it's going to be funny <laughs> to us. Or cringy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Or cringy. It was funny when we did it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I might have a second opinion after I watch the video. But, uh, we'll I'll put links in the show notes to your individual episodes so people can check you guys out if they haven't. And I'll just see. Oh, we'll, I'll see you guys uh, Monday night, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. Oh, it's the nerds. Barry Audio Nerds meeting Monday night at, at Skyline at Brian's place. Yeah, that's cool. All right, guys. Well, I'll let you go. Have a great weekend and uh, we'll chat later. Sounds Thank good. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, Thanks, it's Matt. great to be on again. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Golden Gate Mixers here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. If you like the show, remember, head on over to your podcast aggregator. Give us a five-star review. That really helps out the show. But that's all for me today. I want to thank the crew. That includes Anne-Marie Plow in the editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme song, and Mr. Chuck Smith in his magical voice at the top of the show. Connect with me on LinkedIn and feel free to send me an email, matt at workingclassaudio.com. And until next time, my friends, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like, and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.